Welcome to the Culture of Agriculture, brought to you by Sputnik Equipment. Cam, I'll have you introduce yourself. We'll go around real quick, and then we'll just start with that topic. And then I think from there, it'll actually flow pretty easy. Because if there's one thing that every farmer I know likes to complain about, it's water. Yeah. yeah. And I've said for a long time, I think it's the one thing that people would still get killed over. Yeah. you steal somebody's water and you're... It's not that long ago yeah. I can remember it happening. So. <laughs> 15, 20 years ago in Hammond. Dirk decided to rent a farm in Arco the summer of 03. And water out there is tight. Mm -hmm. And there was a sheriff called many times for water because it's all on a canal. Because mm -hmm. there's never water where you need it. So you're always pushing water down a canal and then some asshole will turn on his pivot. And then I got to remember not to swear for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> My Uncle Doug told me a number of years ago, he's like, you don't have to swear to be a farmer, but it makes it a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> so... Anyway, having said that, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, because people, I guess, watch this, which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anytime. Yep, go ahead. Okay, uh, I'm Ray Hollis with Hollis Crop Consulting. Okay. Uh, Colby Hollis with Hollis Crop Consulting. Doug Case with DC Farms here in Blackfoot. I'm Jake Parkinson with Spudnik. So our first topic on this uh, for our irrigation podcast is deciding when to irrigate. So... How do you decide when to irrigate? Is it when the neighbors turn their stuff on? Because that's the easy way to do it. So and so down the road, turned on his pivot. We better go and start filling the main line or get water in the ditch. So what's what? What do you use? How do you decide when to irrigate? Uh, a lot of times you just you just look at the crop, what's looking like, the weather. Um, you can just you just tell. You know, usually it's grains. The first thing you start watering, then your hay, and then. You, Get to pre-water your spuds, and then goes from there. Kind of the list. But how far ahead do you try and plan? Because you got to have the um, power company come out and you know energize everything and do your initial startup and all. Yeah, that stuff. so we usually so, have somebody go check the pumps like several weeks before irrigating, and then you get the drip oil going, and then the pumps checked out. So by then you have power, and then you try to do a couple like a week or two before you need water. We try to get, but you're always behind. It's, you know, it's just a rat race in the spring. And then at least we can get things flushed out and ready to go. But a lot of times you're just starting things as you need to. And so you're always a couple of days behind just, just trying to get things up and running. Have you ever felt ahead in the spring on your irrigation? Ever? You know, this year with it being cool and we got some cool weather, I didn't feel as rushed, but now with the wind drying it out and we're just watering and watering and you're trying, and with the curtailment and the water situation, you're just you're watching it, but you're you're like we gotta keep watering, and so it's you're kind of in a catch twenty two this year. This year's a little different. Mm -hmm. The cooler weather's been nice because you're not as rushed, but yet it's still you still need to water as much as you can. What so, are you guys seeing out there? Yeah, in the in the wheat, um, you know, the spring rains have been really nice. Mm -hmm. But what we've done is really establish a probably a little higher potential for yield than what, maybe what we started out with. We had maybe slightly lighter stands coming out of winter, um, maybe had a little more winter kill in some fields. And in the wheat, we've gone to kind of cool and wet. And so we've kind of reestablished maybe a slightly higher yield potential. But with these curtailments, the real question is, can we can we finish the crop? Can do we have enough water to get to the end? Um, and, and like Doug said, with the wind and with some heat coming and different things like that, that's a real, a real concern on, on the crops that we're actively watering right now. 
Oh, I was super excited when I woke up this morning to gale force winds already. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's cool is one thing, right? But you guys are right. The wind dries everything out like crazy. Yeah. And I mean, some days it feels like you're standing in a convection oven because it's hot and windy and everything yep. just dries out like you're popping popcorn, basically. Yeah. And other days, like today, it's cool, which is great, but the wind, it, yeah, it negates everything being cool. Yeah. So like, knowing that, like, do you guys trust the forecast much on rain? Like if it's saying rain, where you guys are at specifically? <laughs> Like, do you trust the forecast? Uh, if it says no. you're going to get a quarter inch of rain, do you even? No, especially if it's windy. Yeah. Usually, usually when there's no, when there's zero chance or like a slight chance of rain, it usually rains the most. It's kind of funny. But you know, the way they've got these weather dialed in, it's fairly, they're calling for a little bit of rain. Usually you get a little thunder bumper, but it won't do much. But, but if it's, if anything less than a half inch, don't plan on anything because it doesn't really count, especially if the wind's blowing because you lose 40% or more just to the wind blowing. And yeah. Even like irrigating in the wind, it doesn't, you're, you're like that line, does it even do any good? Like days like today, I, we're shutting everything off because you're just wasting water. Even yeah. though you're drying up, but you're, yep. you're just wasting, especially on the year where so every year. Are you account. changing anything? Because I'm, I'm guessing you use a, a bunch of different mes- methods of irrigation. You have pivots, do you have hand lines, we wheel some. lines? Uh, we've got mostly pivots, some some solid sets, you know, corners, only little hand lines, and then some wheel lines. So with the hand lines and wheel lines, there's not anything you can do to really change your method other than maybe going longer. Right? Yeah. But on your like pivots, it. are you changing, like, your drop length or anything like that to try and get that water down more or try you know, and get it in the canopy or anything like that? A lot of times we're just shutting off in this wind. When it starts blowing 30-plus miles an hour, I mean, you can wait a day. It's going to have to. No, if it's not going to do any good, why throw out the water? Especially on a year like this year where we're looking at curtailments, short water, coming up short on the end of the season. What are you guys seeing? What are you trying to help people do for getting water on the crops better? Go ahead. Uh, I think just being timely with your irrigation and using it in the right situation. You look at the moisture in the whole soil profile, what you have to work with, what your rooting depth is, and how the most efficient way to irrigate is. You know, if you have wheel lines and you go two rolls instead of three rolls, you can push that water deeper because a shallower irrigation leaves more of that water in the top few inches and more susceptible to evaporative loss. So you can do a a deeper irrigation to push that moisture down into the subsoil and hold on to it. But just really trying to match crop demand with the available water. You know, some of our scheduling is going to be done by canal companies that say, well, you can have water for five days and then you're going to be off two days this year. And I think um, that's, that's definitely going to happen uh, with our canal companies. Natural flow may run out here before too long, first of June, and, and we'll be on to storage water much earlier than we typically are. So, uh, yeah, because June 1st is just around the like might as well be june like as far as my world's concerned i'm halfway through june already it feels like yeah and i know that's how farming works by and large it's just you have to plan so far ahead that if you're not thinking weeks ahead you can be kind of toast so when you're seeing people push the water down farther you're seeing the roots chase that better so they're more stable for the moisture profile or no Roots certainly won't grow into dry ground. Yeah, you know, I mean, you always hear, "Well, we need to drought stress the crop so that it will grow down." The, it will, the roots will grow. That's true to a point, but if there's no moisture down there, the roots won't go into it. 
And so the roots will chase the, the moisture. And if you're watering to a reasonable soil profile, uh, to the rooting depth of your crop, you know, a couple feet uh, of soil for wheat, whatever you got for alfalfa and 18 inches for potatoes, you know, if you're watering below that, then you're, you're probably wasting water the other way. So you have to understand the rooting depth of your crop and, and uh, evaporative and transportive loss. You guys have any tools or anything like that to help farmers be able to tell how much water they've actually thrown on other than trusting the pivot to be right and with the wind and everything? I think the biggest tried and true method is still the rain gauge, you know, for, you know, at least getting established on what your, your actual, actual output is. Um, there are definitely some new monitors, um, and things that you can use and, and put out in your field. And we personally are not using very many of those. We're looking at some new technology that's coming out. Um, but we're just, we're all about consistency being in your field multiple times a week and, and making sure that we're seeing a, a regular consistent pattern in, in the field. Have you tried to use any of those sensors in your fields? We've got. How do you like feel them. about them? Uh, we like the ones we've got because they've got a rain gauge on them. Mm-hmm. They've got, they, they keep track of temperature and they keep track of the soil mo- moisture monitor. I mean, nothing beats a shovel out in the field, but they're a good tool to use. I mean, have, have you seen them be, are they accurate <clears throat> or are they consistent? You know, like, so are they accurate to the point where they match that rain gauge perfectly, or are they just consistent enough that you can use them as a tool? I think they're just consistent enough. I don't think you can. Um, you can't. Everything's perfect. Because if the wind blows blind, yeah. or a bird sits on there and yeah, doesn't stay in there. You know, like, like things like that happen. So you have to just keep your eye on it, but just try to be consistent with that. Well, we tried a couple when I was farming too, and that's what I noticed. It was consistent. It's not that I could plan how to irrigate with it but i could see how what i was doing was affecting the soil like the water profile in the dirt yeah so it was nice a bit of a pain at the same time because there's another thing to check like yeah. yeah like you said a shovel in the field is the best way to go right so you try and be in every field every day that takes a ton of time if you're adding something on top of that checking sensors and trying to make sure all the telemetry is always working because Cell phone service is so incredible, right? <laughs> like, I think the real one of the drawbacks with the sensors is they're not at this point. Not very many of them are predictive, like you said. So you can't really schedule or know what that crop's going to need a week from today. And mm-hmm. so that's a lot of what we're paid for is to is to try and help predict what what's going to happen or, or you know put ourselves in the best situation to. To be able to handle what what may be coming down the road. Have but, you seen anything on those sensors to where they will get to the point where they're widely used because of how accurate they are? Uh, we're we're working with one with uh, with Meter Group, and and I think they're getting pretty predictive. They're they're doing better. They're a high end water or weather station, and they take some some management. But once they're installed and working, we worked with one last year, and it it did a pretty darn good job. Um, and I know some other farms had some that actually would uh, calculate ET or predict ET, and they were pretty darn accurate. What's ET? Uh, evapotranspiration. So the evaporative loss uh, from just normal heat evaporation uh, and transportive loss, what the plant uses. Okay. Yeah, because that all makes a big difference, too, because, like, I always remember I loved, well, I both loved and hated when, like, the potatoes would close the canopy, right? Because up until that point, they're just thirsty, thirsty, mm-hmm. thirsty. But it was easier to water because you could just 
plan on leaving your irrigation stuff on. And then as soon as they closed, it, that's when it got tricky, right? Because sure. that's when you can overwater, cause other problems. But it made it harder to irrigate because you couldn't just have everything running all the time. Mm -hmm. You had to be a lot more uh, timely with your water, mm -hmm. right? So, so the sensors are getting better, so that's good. Maybe that'll someday make it to where somebody doesn't have to be in every field every single day. That'd be, that would have been nice. <laughs> I still have my shovel from way back in the day, and it is quite worn down. Uh, the, the trouble there, though, is that's, that's the law of diminishing returns because you still got to be out disease scouting and, and different things. I mean, bodies in the field are, I think, always going to be needed. Yeah. So, actually, disease scouting leads to the next thing I wanted to go over, which is chemigation. So, like, are we seeing anything new with chemigation, or is it still just... Same old, same old. You mix it up, throw your tank at the center of the pivot, throw everything on 100%, and pray it doesn't start to blow in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, not a lot's changed in, in that. I mean, I think there's maybe better pumps, and uh, and the systems are getting getting better to utilize it, but still some of the same problems that always exist. Keep so. them chemical mixed, and systems running, power not shutting off, hoses not blowing apart. All those kind of things that happen. Staying up all night for a couple of weeks because it's the only time the wind doesn't, hopefully, blow. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So that was, I don't think I'll ever forget chemigating from when I was farming. Because it was, it's such a high dollar thing to do, right? Because you've is. got thousands of dollars mixed up in a tank sitting mm -hmm. at your irrigation point and you're, you know, injecting it, yep. hoping that a nozzle doesn't plug so you don't have a nice weedy ring around <laughs> your pivot or whatever, you know? Yep. So I, what do you think of chemigation? Do you do that a lot or are you doing more just top um, dressing? We, I mean, we do some chemigation. We we do a lot of spring stuff with our sprayer, with the cultivator sprayer. Which then, do you prefer? I like spraying it with the, because then you don't have to worry so much about chemigate and you just water it in and it works good we've had good luck with it but we got neighbors that love to chemigate it's just everybody's little preference and, stuff. <clears throat> and then throughout the season if you're either doing a chemigation or a insecticide or something it's just the same kind of principle you're just trying to keep an eye on injecting it so i think it's easier in the spring in my opinion to spray it and then water it in just because that wind for that reason but spring's always super windy in idaho yeah, yeah. but every, you know everybody's got their own preference so if, if you like one way or the other i I think at the end of the day, it's sixes. As know. long as it's consistent, yeah. that's all it really needs to be. Yeah. Yep. So what are you seeing through the middle of the season? Are you doing more chemigation towards the middle? Are you using an airplane? or? And, well, you guys can know that too. It depends. Yeah, yeah, it really depends on the situation. A lot of times it depends on the product that you're, you're applying to. Um, and a lot of times it depends on where our soil moisture is at because there's times of the year where you can't afford that, that 24 hours off to chemigate or that 12 hours off to chemigate. Um, you just got to push. Um, and then there's other times where certain products work much better at, as a chemigation product. Um, and so you, you have to be selective, I think, with, with what your application strategy is. Is there, uh, I guess, different areas that have different demands, obviously. So sure. if you can afford to have the water off, that makes it a lot easier to fly with a plane. But are you seeing any trends one way or the other? Are people moving more towards chemigation because of the cost of aviation fuel? Or are you seeing more people move towards fuel because they can't afford to have the water off? Maybe not so much the cost of the application. I mean, that's definitely something to consider. But 
planes just are less and less willing to fly in, in residential areas. And, and those residential areas are really, really tough to get into. No, nobody in the residential areas really likes a plane to be buzzing over their house at 6 o'clock in the morning and, and flying pesticide. And uh, that's the reality of the world that we live in today. And so farmers are adapting and, and having to use different methods just because of that. If you're in a large area like where you grew up, mm-hmm. where you're more rural, then there's definitely planes in the air every day and it's it's utilized more but it's it's definitely location specific of course on the uh, fort hall reservation we can't fly with mm-hmm. either chemigation or ground rig and so a lot of a lot goes on through chemigation there but also a lot goes on through ground rig um, both have pros and cons but anyway so we're limited there are you seeing a ground rig be used more for crops besides potatoes where you don't have to worry about the canopy so much. So, we, like, I know one thing that I messed with a bit while I was farming was doing tram lines in our grain crops. Mm-hmm. So we could use a ground rig more frequently, mm-hmm. but then you still run into it's wet on one side of the pivot and it's not on the other sure. side. So you can spray part of it, but you can't spray the rest of it because you leave ruts instead of just tram lines. Right. So you seen anybody move that way, or is it still just staying pretty consistent? Yeah, you know, in the grain crops, a lot of these products were, were down to to get your fungicide, your herbicide on. And if you're throwing in a plant growth regulator, uh, you can almost get it all done in one pass. And, and, and that's nice. And unfortunately, you still do have the tracks to contend with. But we do have more growers utilizing their own sprayers and, and using it across multiple crops. If they have sugar beets in the rotation with Roundup Ready sugar beets. That's it's really handy to have your own application equipment, e- equipment to be able to take care of of that application as well. So with the with the way that the water outlook for the year is, because it's looking real tight sure. in like to understate it a little bit, mm-hmm. what do you think we're gonna have to see for like drainage control or an erosion control? I think it's still gonna be a big problem or do you think it's gonna be a bit easier this year because things are just gonna be a little drier overall? You know, that's a good good question, and I'm, I'm assuming that what you're talking is about runoff in, mm-hmm. in more sloped fields. Yeah. Uh, one of the challenges, too, when you're watering steady and that water's infiltrating at a fairly consistent rate, it moves into the ground almost better. When you start stopping and starting, you can build crust layers and things that, that actually make your runoff worse. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it could be a bigger problem. Of course, we're always... In steep fields, especially in most fields, you use a dam or diker in the potatoes to yeah. control erosion. And more people are using them in small grains on steeper fields to help minimize erosion or water loss that way. That's one thing I've, I always had to contend with because it was always really rolling fields. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't use a normal just prop diker because the dikes wash out too easy. Sure. They weren't, the dikes weren't deep enough or big enough or heavy enough. Mm-hmm. So when I came down and saw where everybody was farming flatter and they could just use the prop diker, I always got really jealous because it was so much easier <laughs> than what I had to run. So uh, are you seeing any changes made? Are you making any changes to try and hold on to water better, like through extra dikes or larger water retention areas or anything like that? I would say I've had personally more calls this spring about what can we do to be better about dammer diking, I guess. You know, what... Do we need to run some water after we've diked to hold those dikes in place a little bit better? Or do we do we need to slow down with our dam or diker? Do we need to speed up? You know, a number of different things. So I, 
right now I think growers just in general are, are trying to be more conscious of, of setting those dikes, you know, doing what we can to, to keep the moisture in place. I think? I, I think that's accurate. We just try to form a, a, a good big dike and then set that dike with some a light irrigation so that it doesn't break out with the with the first big irrigation. If you put a soft dike and you go around with three quarters of an inch on slope, you're going to break out some dikes. So we do do the best we can to get those dikes formed good and so that they'll hold throughout the season. Once we get canopy and it disperses that irrigation water a little bit more, it's easier to hold it, but you have to do all you can to keep that dike in place until that point. Until that point. So you're saying that you're recommending people go in and put on touch water just try and firm that dirt up a little bit Mm -hmm. so that when they actually need to really put water down to the roots that nothing's blowing out yep and you want to pull a good deep shank through the middle of that Mm -hmm. row too because that water is going to follow that shank down Mm -hmm. and if you're just doing some shallow uh, cultivating it's not going to establish that that deeper furrow and then you'll run into that runoff problem Mm -hmm. like right off the bat yeah 